Welcome to BAFTA's Heritage Podcast, featuring monthly conversations on films, TV programs and games recognized by the Academy since 1947. Find out more about how BAFTA has been celebrating and inspiring creative excellence at BAFTA.org forward slash heritage. And, um, okay, I want to start with something that you as Hitchcock say to Sienna Miller as Tippi Hedren, there, which is about acting and about less is more, basically. But what Hitchcock appears to be telling her is to be blank so that then the audience can impose upon her mm. their fantasies or fears or whatever it is. And I thought when I watched it again the other day that actually that's almost the opposite of what you do because we look at you quite often in a character that we underestimate. And what you're doing is giving us surprises and you know, revelations, things that, layers and layers of stuff that, that we start working on. It's completely the opposite of that. So, Toby Jones, how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting you, you say that. I, 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 the thing I'm always really fascinated by is a character in trying to work out what a character is in neutral, by which I mean when a, when a character is, uh, has no attitude at all, like when we're alone in rooms. And there's a few scenes in this that are a bit like that, where you're on your own in a room and the camera watches you and you're just behaving in a way that no one would ever know how you behave, like, like we are when we're on our own. And I always feel that that's the, the area that I, I, I'm always interested in finding with the characters, what are they like when no one's watching them? And do they just, like we all do a bit, like kind of, you know, like just <laughs> relax, breathe out a bit and kind of like, ah, oh, the strain of being who I am, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and maintaining the, 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 the facade that you know who, who you are. And I, and, and I suppose that that's the work that I do a, a, a lot, is to try and work out how they sit without any attitude at all before when they're not when there's no big emo, there's no emotion at all when they're between emotions and then to try and work out in the story when you're going to if you're playing a lead character you get the whole film to release different details about a character so you, you want to release it gradually and you want to find as wide if you're playing someone as complex and interesting as him as wide a range of release as you can. And in a way, it sounds very schematic, but I, th I think that was the way I was trained, which is very, very French and very sort of objective and concrete and not subjective. But I found that in film, in, in a way, that frees me up to be more subjective in the moment of acting. If I can be really concrete about Okay, he, he, you know, he, he moves like that. He's, he's got on a neutral position, his, yeah. his feet are like that. Or, and he, you know, there he's, he's not doing it. That's, that's him without any attitude at all. So when he's happy, it might be that he, he's in a different version of that, but that's where he always goes back to. And, and that's a very sort of French thing of trying to find the neutral gear of a character in a way. Does that answer that question at all? <laughs> yeah, well, it does. Well, it's, it, it, it's an insight into it. And I, so then if you, if you have if you have the span of a feature film in which to do that, that means that when there must be such extensive preparation in terms of knowing how you feed out those details all the way through. 
Yes, I mean, that Gary Cooper quote about NAR, no acting required in lots of scenes, it, it, it's not totally true. If you're playing Hitchcock, just being Hitchcock, uh, walking, th uh, walking across, um, as the camera follows him and you're, you're walking across, you're still having to be something. You're, you're very much having to be Hitchcock in neutral, but he's not actually changing in any way. There's no drama. Drama is change. And you're trying to work out in the story, where does the character actually change? What changes and how big is that change? And that's really like um, just reading the story over and over and over and over again and trying to work out where the most interesting changes are and how big those changes are, what are the key ones. And it's true that in most films that aren't melodramatic, the most challenging thing is to show an emotion changing in shot, to show going from happy to sad, sad to happy, um, normal to sh a shame, an emotion dawning on a character. And in a way, that's the most challenging thing. And that will only happen very, very rarely in a film that we actually see an emotional state change. Uh, and, that, and that's the pressure days when, <laughs> when they're coming up. That's when you've got to be really organised and concentrated about what you're thinking. So with, with Hitchcock, was this, this was a person who created a tremendous public persona. Um, and you know, anybody who was brought up watching seeing Hitchcock films or whatever, on the, or the introductions, all those Hitchcock introductions on television had that idea of him. Um, but you must have wanted to find something that was not any of that. So, you know, where do you, where do you go for that? Well, the, the first thing is, it, 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 I, I, the daunting thing was, I had a film that I was doing at the same time, it was overrunning it, and there was a point at which I, they weren't going to be able, it, I'd started looking at Hitchcock, panicking and looking at footage, and there's all this footage to look at, and reading books, and started all that, and then suddenly the, the, the schedule wasn't going to work, and the huge feeling of relief, I mean, <laughs> Disappointment, yes, for a moment, and then, oh, well, uh, I'm sure there'll be another Hitchcock film. And then, no, oh, no, we're going to make the schedule work for you. You can do it. Oh, shit, you know. <laughs> uh, but actually, all of that research is really irrelevant in a way because it's sort of comforting to feel like you're working at it. But this brilliant screenplay, it's a screenplay. It's a version of Hitchcock. It's not Hitchcock. It's but who knows how, yeah. what Hitchcock was like? Who knows what Truman Capote was like? They, they are, this is a little take on them. Uh, some of these things happened, but no one knows how they happened, how quickly they happened. Uh, and, and no one knows who Hitchcock was, really. No one knows that. And so I think that's very liberating. But you feel like you should be doing... So you're looking at it like you would a piece of fiction, in a way. You know who Hitchcock was. You, there's a lot of footage to look at. So you, 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 um, you settle on a shape, on, a, on how he might move. And then there are certain things you do with any character which you think, well, this is a guy who's not physically attractive, who's let himself go, who battled with weight all his life. So there would be a preoccupation in his head with trying to, trying to be attractive, that that would be a priority for him. And at times he would give up on that in the story and be loathsome and be self-loathing. But I think he also had this extraordinary, beautiful voice. And that was the thing that really unlocked it for me, was this mixture of wine, of cockney, of this, this warmth of eating. So the whole thing was just sort of 
strange sort of tasting of the voice. And this had great beauty. And so I've sort of, this isn't really for the audience, it's more for me playing it. I, I sort of concentrate a lot on kind of like, when I'm here like that, I mm. feel sort of comfortable and I enjoy speaking. I take my time speaking. Uh, and I command space like that. And I command space by taking my time speaking. Not like me who speaks very fast and speedy. He's confident enough to take the time with his voice, in a way. Mm. And you have, I mean, over these next few minutes, it'll be apparent that you've played a lot of real people. Mm. A lot of real people. I don't know whether that is because there does seem to have been, within the last 15 years, a huge number of biopics, you know, biopics or things based on, uh, partly because I think people feel more confident if they're based basing stuff on, on reality and so forth. I mean, are there general principles? Obviously, living or dead, that's a big question. Isn't yeah. it? We'll, we'll yeah. come around to that in a moment. But that whole sense of whether people want some element of impersonation in it or whether you're free, I mean, that will, will depend on, on the writer and the director, will it? Yeah, you, just don't, you just want people to not be distracted. That's, I think mm. you're telling a drama. It's a drama. It's not... There is no authoritative account. There is no authoritative account of these events. Here, Tippi Hedren said these things mm. happened. I believe her. I talked to her. I believe that these things happened. Who knows whether they happened exactly in this way, and they certainly didn't happen in this compressed way that you get in a drama. But in, in, in the drama, you're trying to honour the, the interest of the drama, to, to make it a good story. I was very concerned with Julian, the director. I said, it's very early in the film that he jumps onto her and sexually assaults her. And I, I remember just having long debates about that. And I said, you see, then it's kind of, for a modern audience, he's damned for the rest of the film. And I've got to work hard for the drama to be interesting, to sort of win back any kind of sympathy for him. I've got to find space where I, can, where I can do that, just for the drama to be interesting. Otherwise, it just becomes a hatchet job, which, which isn't very interesting. So in that sense, these are just dramatic concerns. They're not really concerns about real people. They're just trying to make it an interesting drama to watch. Um, I, and I think that you know, when people always ask about impersonation, imitation, yeah, maybe, maybe it is impersonation. I, it's always used in a derogative way, like in some way you're doing... Um, you're being like a, a comic, an impersonator. And, and there's a part of me that goes, oh, I hope it isn't just an impersonation. But is an impersonation bad? I yeah. don't know. Is that bad? Uh, because in a way, it has to be a bit, enough of an impersonation for you to not be distracted by the fact that... Oh, it doesn't... That doesn't correspond with my idea of Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. It has to be enough Alfred Hitchcock so you're not bothered by it. Mm. And, and no more than that, really. We've got a couple of clips this evening. The first of which is um, which you play Truman Capote. So, but I mean, you'd been you'd been making films for a little while before before. Not really. No, I've been doing a lot of theatre actors get drafted. Yeah. British theatre actors get drafted into American films to go. He went that way, you know. Uh, <laughs> sort of like that'll be four pounds twenty, you know. Like, I remember you in Orlando. I, my first ever. That was my first ever film. Yeah. That's uh, well, not a bad film Sally, to have you. Yeah, but Sally, I remember Sally Potter saying. That was a very big reaction. I didn't know what the hell was going on in that film. You know, I, didn't, I, didn't, I just thought I'd just do it like in, in theatre. And then I realised that I might have goofed. Uh, and then later I did a TV thing and the director, Douglas McKinnon, said to me at the end of the first day, he said, are you, what are you 
doing? You know, I'm, I'm, paying you to, I'm paying you to act, and you don't appear to be doing anything at all. And I said, I, said, I, 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 I am doing it, but I'm, I, I'm doing it very uh, small after my Orlando experience. And he said, can you just do some acting? Because that, that's what I've contracted you to do. <laughs> and I remember looking at lovely John McArdle, who sat next to me playing, and he said, don't, 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 don't worry, don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll talk you through this, it's fine. And I've been very lucky with having older actors, the Truman Capote, Jeff Daniels said to me at the end of the first day of filming, and that was being the lead in a, an amazing film with all of these amazing actors. And I remember him just taking me aside and going, you can do this. Oh. You don't need to doubt at all. You can do this. And I remember how, I've tried to remember it when I've been in a similar situation with younger actors now. He took me out to dinner on the first night and it was kind of like the relief when he said it. Uh, and I said, give me some tips. He said, you don't need any tips. You are him, you know, like, and I said, oh, like, maybe I don't have to do it at all now, now that I've done it one day. Maybe I don't have to do the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's great that you've mentioned it because actually the, the clip we're going to see is the... It's the first, first day, first day. Oh, was it? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So this is, um, I'm, I'm sure most of you've seen Infamous, but, it, but if not, it's, it's based on um, Truman Compote's experiences in really writing in cold blood and also with all his New York friends. And, but there is a point at which the wife of the detective who is running the investigation into the, into the, the Holcomb murders, which had formed the basis of, of the in cold blood book, you run into her somewhere and she's completely entranced by you and she invites you and your friend Harper Lee yeah. to Christmas dinner. So if we can see the first clip, please. We have treats. I have kind of a party question. Um, I hope it's not too awful or mean. That sounds fun. Let's play. Paul Dewey, don't you want to come in here and sit with the grown-ups? Since it's Christmas, I thought we could all take turns telling what is the worst present you ever got? Mine was a shawl from an elderly neighbor lady. <laughs> I'm not a shawl lover. And me neither. Oh, they're never warm enough. Are my ears working properly? <laughs> Am I the only one here who loves shawls? Don't look at me. My goodness. I love shawls. I have several. I think the prettiest one is the one Jennifer Jones gave me. Jennifer Jones? The movie star? Yes. We were in Rome making a picture called Beat the Devil, and I was struggling to write a scene for Bodie when I began to feel the most inhuman pain. Bodie? You mean Humphrey Bogart? I mean Mr. Lauren Bacall, yes. <laughs> I was trying to write a scene for him and Peter in which they... Wait, wait, wait. Who's Peter? Peter Laurie. But I had a terrible, impacted tooth. And so John... Wayne? Garfield Kennedy? Houston. John Houston, the director? John told me he didn't care if we had to shut the movie down. I was going to the hospital. So I thought, well, if I have to be in a Roman hospital for God knows what length of time, I may as well have something with me to make me feel good. So I wore the beautiful Balamar shawl that Jennifer gave me. And if I do say so myself, I felt and looked dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you meet Humphrey Bogart? Meet? 
idea. Every night we had drinks and dinner and once poker. You played poker with Humphrey Bogart? I, I had a disadvantage in that I didn't know the game the way that Bogey or Frank did. Frank? Sinatra? Experience who taught them things a, a relative novice such as myself may not know. Like, well, did you know that three of a kind beats a pair? <laughs> so I did not defeat Mr. Humphrey Bogart at cards. But you may be interested to know I soundly beat him at something else. <laughs> Arm wrestling. Oh. Hold on now. <laughs> you expect us to believe that you beat Humphrey Bogart at arm wrestling? Twice. <laughs> Can't imagine why you were nervous about taking on that. <laughs> Day one, yeah. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. That's day one. Yeah. You must have known it was going well. <laughs> well, I knew that something was going on because every night before that in pre-production, it was weird because my, it was very useful. I was sort of living the life that he was in the film. I was completely transplanted from my family as, as he, was. he was. He was obviously deposited in Kansas. And it only occurred to me afterwards that I'd been deposited in Texas, away from my family. And every night I would go back and, and sort of, you get so nervous. It's the first time I'd had played a lead role and so, so nervous. And I, I'd sleep. When I, when I eventually slept, I'd just be out cold as soon as I got in from filming. And it was just anxiety and nerves about the responsibility. Well, it paid off beautifully. I mean, it, it is fantastic. Um, for my money, rather better than the other Truman Capote film, but yeah, <laughs> you, I know you couldn't possibly, yeah. couldn't possibly comment on all that. But you have done such a wide range, I mean, since then, um, you've done, which is sort of a dozen years or so ago, mm. ago, you've done such a wide range of films, so you could be with Frank Darabont doing, you know, The Mist, doing a great sort of horror film, you've done sort of arty European films, you've done wonderful eclectic things like Peter Strickland's Bavarian Sound Studio, I mean, the, when I look at how many credits, how many screen credits that you've got, you know, in the, in that relatively short time, I mean, incredible range of stuff. I, it must be very heartening. I mean, most actors tend to get things in one sort of vein. Or did you ever feel that that it was a bit narrow what you were being offered? I mean, not now. I thought. I think that was a, a concern of mine. I, I think that there are actors who, you know, I, I work with. Bill Nye a couple of times, and he's quite happy. To, he, he says, I don't want to play lots of different kinds of character. And, and I always just assumed that that is what all actors wanted to do, and they don't. And I, I, I suppose I've sort of almost to a foolish degree been wanting to, to change and transform, that I, I enjoy contrast, I enjoy the not just doing film and telly, but doing radio and, and, and theatre. And that, that, to me, feels the most glamorous thing about my job is, is never quite knowing what the next thing will be and trying to keep change as a central thing in it. Um, that's just been something I've always wanted to do. And film has given me the opportunity to completely transform, which I suppose is the childhood dream in a way, the idea that you might be able to become someone else. I remember Doug McGraw in the Truman Capote said, 
what were you doing last night? You could go up to dinner. I mean, at that point, I was going so mad on, on it. I, I said, I was practicing his handwriting like that. Because uh, he said, that, that scene may not be in. And I said, I know, but I just want to be sure that if it comes down to it, that I know how, how his handwriting. But th that was hugely enjoyable to me. The idea that I could maybe just perfect every aspect of a character. That was kind of like, it, it felt like I'd never get that opportunity. Because as you say, it happened quite late in my career. And... I found that I, I absolutely love working on detail, you know. And I suppose that, um, I mean, television drama, obviously people talk constantly about the, the strength of television drama at the moment. Uh, our second clip is going to be from Marvellous, mm. which is... Um, and uh, so that there's, there's both that and then there are longer-form television dramas you've done and adaptations and things, yeah. which, again, is allowing, you know, over that span of time, is allowing you to develop a character sometimes. Uh, yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah. I, 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 it, it's great to be playing lead characters. I, I used to, you know, I started out in my career, I'd look at it and go, that must be really fun, you know, just behaving. Like, if you play lead characters, you get to sort of walk down streets and... <laughs> and knock on doors and not be the one going, oh, yes, you know, you, 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 you get to be the one who, who knocks and sort of, you know, you get to do all of that stuff that I always wanted to do, which is like, to, to, I, I, I can't help it. I, you know, I, 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 I'm fascinated by human behaviour and I, I love using it and thinking, oh, maybe, you know, I can use that, use that. And if you're playing a lead character, there's so many more situations to do that. So let's have a look at the second clip now, which is from Marvellous. Now, here you have the particular challenge of not just playing a real person, but playing a real person who actually appears beside you. On yeah, screen. and who was there for every single moment of the shooting. Was he? Yeah, by the camera, like that, eating the, eating the food. So for you know. anybody who hasn't seen it, just explain who he is. Well, Neil Baldwin is a phenomenon. Um, he, he lives near Kiel. He lives on Sto in Stoke-on-Trent, uh, but he lives near Kiel. And he strolled into Keele University one day, and this is in the film, and started welcoming students <laughs> to Keele University and sort of gave himself a role there. And he's got these obsessions, <laughs> Vickers, Stoke City Football Club, um, and, and Keele University, amongst many other things. And he's the most extraordinary, and he was extraordinary man. And anyone who's been to Keele University remembers him and talks about him and comes up to me and says... Neil, you know, he's great, and he's still there, Neil. And the story of the drama, Peter Bowker's extraordinary screenplay was about... I think it's because Peter was looking for a positive story about someone with um, learning difficulties. Mm. And he f came across this thing that Neil had been given this honorary degree, even though he clearly has struggles in some areas. And the screenplay explains that his mother brilliantly played by Gemma Jones, was able to see in Neil, you can do anything, you can do anything. And Neil has taken that on board and you see that in the film. And, and he met extraordinary people like Lou Macari who just found him and he said, you know, I was a clown. What are you doing? He said, I'm normally I'm a clown. What do you want to do? He said, well, why don't you come be the kit man? Kit man. And so he said, okay, you know, I'll, have it, I'll give it a thought, I'll give it a think. And then he was the kit man. And, and it's just the most marvellous story. It's a, it's a hugely optimistic story about how good we can be, you know. And sometimes if you ask, people will do. What is yeah, it? and I, th I, th I suppose the, the, the irony is that when I read it, you know, 
when one hears that a film's going to be about someone with learning difficulties or with an injury or something like that, you go, I know what this film's going to be like. It's going to be heartbreaking. But it's heartbreaking for the right reasons. It's saying nothing happens to Neil that doesn't happen to any of us, which is you lose your mum, mm. who you love. But that happens, happens to all of us. And I, I think it avoids a lot of the sort of dramatic tropes of those sorts of Yeah, dramas. and it's never mawkish because no. it, you, it's, you think it might be going towards areas where it could be, and it does completely avoid that. Well, we're going to see a lovely sort of celebratory moment now when um, this, I think, is a testimonial match. Yeah, I scores a goal. <laughs> Yeah. Now just, just hang about my pen here, right? And, and cause me problems. How am I going to do that? Well, you're causing me problems just looking at you, so it shouldn't be too hard. Okay, boss. Anything comes near you, you, you hit it, right? Right, like, like, like a brick out town. No, no, I mean, I mean the ball, not, not the other players. All right, hey. Score one for your mum now, okay? Okay, yeah, she'll like that. <laughs> Good luck, Nano. Well played, Thumper. It's Bomber. Like a plane or something, not Thumper. <laughs> this really happened, by the way. Did it? Yeah, it actually did. How could I let the fans down? <laughs> 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 They're so magical. Yeah. He's a magical guy. Magic things happen to him, you know. Uh, the story I always tell about him was that there's a scene in it where I, I do a eulogy to my mother who's died. And we shot it in the actual Christadelphian hall where she had been, <coughs> where the funeral had taken place. And some of the congregation had been at her funeral. And it was a day when I was really concerned because Neil, Neil was watching this in the other room with Malcolm, his best friend, who features in the film. And I was doing this eulogy to the congregation about my mum and, and what she meant to me and, 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 all, and all that, and being very positive like that. And at the end, the director very sweetly came and said, that, well, that's terrific. It was, it was great. <laughs> and I thought, well, thanks like that. How's Neil? How's Neil? I, he said, I, I, I don't know, let's go and find out. So we went, we went into, the, into the room with the monitor and Malcolm, who's this enormous guy in real life, just came out in pieces like that. Yeah, and, uh, and Neil went, we're going to win a BAFTA! Like that. <laughs> <laughs>
mind you, you know, we shot another scene where I'm saying, thanks for coming to the funeral, thanks for coming to the funeral, with the, with the extras. Mm. And, and the extras who'd been there, they went, during the take, they went, oh, Toby, that was wonderful. <laughs> it was almost better than the real thing. <laughs> but it was great because it, it had that sort of collaborative feel, the whole thing, that it was, which was part of what gave it such tremendous sort of energy. And things. So I'm going to throw it open to uh, questions of Floor and just saying, but just before I do, I mean, this list of things here, you are so busy, apparently, you know, with films coming out over the next... Mm. Years I mean, you were constantly. Michael Haneke, you've been yeah. working with Michael Haneke. Yeah. And you're going to work with Carol Morley, is that right? That's the next thing I'm doing, yeah. That's yeah. the next thing. Great. So it's just really one thing after another. Yes, I didn't comment on that. <laughs> it, it, it stopped. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's, there's a hand up straight away here and another one there. Uh, there's a microphone approaching. Yes, good evening. Um, I'd like to go back to uh, the girl and ask you, it was a fantastic performance, um, to, and ask you the reason why you selected the girl to be viewed tonight. And uh, also, can you tell us how that was for you making the film? Was that like really, I mean, it's an incredible performance, amazingly intense. Um, can you tell us your journey with that and, and how you worked with um, Sienna as well, please? Um, I didn't choose that. Uh, I didn't choose the, the, the film. It was chosen chosen for me. But I, I, I mean, I sort of said, "Yeah, it's fine. Whatever." You know, I I, I, I won't be watching it. Uh, uh, but, but it says that you select. The yeah, camera. I know. That's a lie. <laughs> I didn't say no. Uh, uh, I, I I love doing it. it the, the makeup, which became, it's odd because you don't know quite what's going to be unlock the character. And weirdly, it was telly, so it was pressure of time for Julian and all of us. And this prosthetics that I, I had to wear took, um, I think it was four hours to put on this stuff every day, and then an hour and a half to take it off. And it, curiously, at the beginning, it was like a nightmare. I was going, oh, I'm just going to get too tired doing this, this job. And then it became a really useful thing. It became just this very nice time <laughs> at uh, 4.30 in the morning where these two people would begin to sort of like sculpt this thing. And then the thing that takes the real time is painting it so that it's all, you know, consistent. And it just became this time where, without being, without being weird or mystical about it, I'd be, I would have time to think through the scenes and dream about falling in and out of sleep, but just be thinking about the scenes all, all day that we were going to be doing that day. And I found that incredibly, incredibly useful. Uh, and then... I, I could, you know, once the basic was on, I could just have, which I always try and do, is just ha have his voice playing in my ears, the, those famous Truffaut interviews where, that he did. And I, I loved, I really loved playing him. It, it's a fantastic thing to play, to have all of that around. It, it's like wearing a big mask and you have to sort of befriend it. Um, it was a very good fat, a really good fat suit. There are bad fat suits and that was a very, very good one. And... It, it came all the way down, down here. So I, it literally, mm. physically it helped me to, 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 to move. And as I, I was saying to Francine, I, I, I love that idea of transformation. I, I, I really in, enjoy it. And Sienna was absolutely fantastic. I, weirdly, as soon as I read the thing, I thought, that's Sienna Miller, because she's sort of the equivalent, sort of. 
she's feisty and she's a film star in the same way and the same kind of beauty. And it's a kind of Beauty and the Beast story, the, the, the screenplay. Uh, and I think somewhere that was in my head when mix. Oh, there's a lot to say about it, but uh, the, the, that in the mix somewhere was that fairy tale going on that somewhere he thinks he's going to be the prince, you know, somewhere. People, there are all those amazing things about masks and counter masks that people who are often very big are often very light on their feet. Um, and then when they're depressed, they sort of like assume their weight and all of that. And I, I think he was a big drinker. And you hear him a bit drunk in those Truffaut interviews, don't you? Yeah. You hear his voice, right? Suddenly you see the marshal fall down and the whole thing can't. Can't really be fucked to say, you know. <laughs> and all of that is great. And I know I should mention as well that Imelda Staunton was absolutely mm. sensational mm. in it, you know. Yeah. And just she, she, she was she was just great because she's such fun, but she also was just really respectful of 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 uh, I, I think of the makeup that I had to put on and just it was really fun playing her husband. Thank you. Hello, uh, he stole my question. It was uh, actually, well, <laughs> it was going to be, you know, what was the worst thing and what Shall was the best thing? Again? <laughs> <laughs> well, my question was going to be, what was the worst thing what was the best thing about playing Hitch? But as um, that moment in uh, Marvelous actually brought a tear to my eye again, oh, okay. um, can I ask you the same question about playing your man in... Uh, uh, Neil Baldwin. Yes. The best and the worst thing about playing him. Uh, it was all pretty good with Neil. It was all, it was all, it was all great. He, um, it, I, I was really concerned for him. I, I, I always really concerned that we, you know, the circus had come to town quite literally, to 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 to, to you know, this TV people had come and we were going to make a film. It was like, oh, great, great, you know, it's going to be great, you know. And I was going, yeah. And then we're going to go away again. And you're going to be left in this house that you've shown us around and, you know, has been replicated. And uh, I needn't have worried because he's so positive. I said to him on the last day, I said, well, Neil, last week uh, we're going to be going back to London, or some of us, and we'll see you when we do the screening and hopefully it'll all work out and, you know, you'll be proud of the film. Oh, yeah, yeah, hopefully it'll be great. Yeah, and and uh, I said, so what will, what will you do, Neil, this summer? Have you got your next couple of weeks? I'm off on tour, circus tour, uh, with, with my friends in clowning. We're off to Zurich, and then we'll be touring around. And I was going, you'll be fine, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was writing his autobiography by the end. By the time the film came out, he was writing his autobiography. So it was fantastic working with him. And... Uh, I wanted to know whether he'd ever been in love. I wanted to know whether he'd ever been in love. Um, and that's, that's when, and it was useful to ask him those sorts of questions when I first met him because it was like you could suddenly realise, ah, oh, these are the parameters that I'll be working in, that he, he, he didn't want to answer that. And, and I, I could feel that there were sort of certain, it was literally like I was trying to find out the parameters of, 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 of what I could use and faithfully be him. Like that, and and people misunderstood. I think people loved the film so much they started asking him to do after dinner speaking and mm. and things like that. And 
That, I think that that's a misunderstanding. I think that the film slightly mis un, overestimates his. It's very easy to overestimate because he's such a wonderful, superhuman guy who literally does behave like, who literally goes, where, where are you going? I'm going to town. How are you going to get there? Someone's going to give me a lift, you know, like that. And sure enough, a car stops and he gets it. <laughs> going into town, you know, like that. Off you go. You know. <laughs> and, and life does work like that for him. But I think, it, that I think sometimes people project a sort of miraculousness onto him that, yes. that he doesn't have and it isn't very useful to play him. But I, I just love the way that in all, the, in all of those two shots, he's always looking at you in such a benign kind of way. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like encouraging you. Yeah, yeah. not bad, not, not bad. Not bad. Yeah. yeah, you're doing very well there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great. And up there now. Yeah. As somebody who's trained as an actor, I'm in my spare time and stuff, and I'm now looking on evolving that. I'm just curious to know, what elements of the acting technique did you find a challenge when you were starting out and what do you f did you feel came naturally to you when you were trying to create a character? Yeah. That's a big question. Uh, I, uh, uh, my dad's an actor. He's a 90-year-old actor and he's still working. And I think so. I've, there's one actor I've seen more than any other actor and I grew up watching that actor and I was pretty sure I wanted to do the opposite of what he was doing because he's my father. Mm -hmm. So I think that had a big effect and a big blocking effect on my development as an actor, this, this need to try and be, be different in a way. So there's, there's that to say. I think that as a child, I, I really loved making adults laugh. And I think that somewhere there's that going on still in my there's a kind of retrieval of that pleasure somewhere in being an actor. Uh, I think as you, as you get older, you, you, uh, the hard thing is, the really hard thing is to remember all of, all, all of that spontaneous stuff you do when you're young with that before, before, and you're doing it for the first time. You know, you can only be the lead in an American film for the first time once. Next time, you do, you've already done it once, and you have to guard against the fact that you sort of know, on one level, you can do it. And in a way, you're constantly having to make it strange again. Constantly try and make it strange. I, I don't know how to do this. But it's very hard because there are, at the risk of sounding really like the kind of actor I don't want to be, the, the craft element, the craft element of it, the things that you do every time, the, just the basic things to save time that you do, has, can begin to dilute the ignorance that you have, the unknown that you have, the spontaneity that you have, the stuff that you, as a kid you, you just try things like that, and in a way you need to remember that as you get older. It's why it's great working with younger actors because you look at them and you go, it's all so guileless and craftless. It's sort of spontaneous and instinctive. And you think, oh, I wish I could get, I could get back elements of that. Or it reminds myself not to, not to know the answers all the time about, uh, this will work, this will work. You know, maybe it won't. Try things that might not work. Do you find yourself sort of thinking in the situation, oh, this is a 427-stroke C kind of whatever? Yes. Might well, because it. dramas are dramas and, you know, there's repeated kinds of scene. Mm. You know, they're, 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 it's this kind of scene. They want to achieve this kind of effect. 
And I think that's when, that's when it's very useful to think of what are the audience are expecting and can I maybe work against that? A bit like the Hitchcock thing, you know, one my concern with Julian was this was happening too soon. But in a way, that problem, it was a good problem to have in the rest of the film, is that I had to try and find vulnerability in this guy who the audience quite rightly are going, you're a, a monster, you know, you're, you're, a mo you're out of control. And to try and find little things like the way I, I get up maybe in a vulnerable way or find, find, I knew that I had to sort of feed in some kind of pathos somewhere to make people still care, you know. Well, and which you did with tremendous, tremendous success. Um, so, okay, so we know we've got the Hanukkah coming up. There's a oh, Thomas Alfredson film, The Snowman. You Minor part in that, Minor but, part. I, but he's one of the directors I'd really yeah. do anything for. Well, him and, Terrific. you know, there's a few directors you work with and you just go, anything, anything. Hanukkah, you know, I'll do anything, you know. So uh, Thomas was such a brilliant, he directed Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, and it's just such clear, brilliant, naturalistic directing of actors, you know. Brilliant director. We look forward to that. That's that sometime in the next few weeks. In the meantime, thank you very much for your questions. And Toby, thank you very thank much you indeed for your time. <laughs>